on the 20th of May, 2022, my father, Dr. Alex Uwe, dad, passed away. Make the most of your time while you can now. Act as if those who have passed are looking down upon you. That they want to see you living with love. He had told me to wait for the right girl. And that's when I said to her that she was the rightest girl I'd found in a long time. Living the love that they no longer can in this life. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bold Dojo Podcast. We're the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at bolddojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang1, double O-I, Tang1, or on Facebook, which is just Facebook, The Adam Ui. You guys can find all the links down below to that. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip, you can do so over at bowldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. Once off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldojo.com. A nice five track. Eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Welcome, my friends, to How to Process Your Father's Death. Letting go of the man who gave life to you. Moving through the short-term pain, just the shock of finding out. And then in the long-term, how to deal with society, friends at large, other family members working through your own internal demons, if there are any, any pain, any resentment, any regrets, and replacing those with love, peace, and joy, and the gratitude for the existence of who your father was. This is a very meaningful and powerful session we'll be going into today because on the 20th of May, 2022, my father, Dr. Alex Uwe, dad, passed away. And I'm sure as we go into this podcast, I'll detail out more about how that all went down. But here, starting off this intro, it's been about two weeks since then. What's today? Today is the 8th of June. And I felt like now now was privy, as the funeral was just last weekend, in which that uh, I traveled into state with one of my my brothers. There's three of us. And yes, went through. I've been through several funerals before. Never one of my own family members, though. And death is something that we have largely talked about in this long-running, outstanding podcast series. And I've discussed at length the death of and dealing with suicide, one of my best friends in the journey, Matthew Burnside, who took his own life back in 2016, I believe. And so we've largely talked about these these concepts and now I was finally put to the test. And I can say now that all the things I've talked to you all about in terms of coming to peace with death, viewing it as a gift, viewing it as an integral part of what it means to be a human being, to integrate yourself into the dance of life and death, seeing the yin and yang and all, 
and the continuation of energy transferred from one being to the next as we all come from one, one source. All of these ideas tested to their fullest capacity and I'm smiling with you now because I feel them in, embedded deeply within me. And I do want to place a disclaimer here at the beginning of this podcast that this is not me attempting to tell you how to deal with your experience. This is more of just a reflection on my own, how I went about processing the death of my father. And I feel like a lot of you would gain benefit from this. And I've heard the feedback from you that you like to hear how I take a different standpoint, different viewpoint on the way that we live our lives as human beings, a little bit contrary to the mainstream. So please do as you will. This is definitely not me saying uh, how you should live your life just a reflection of mine. So I have a loose bamboo structure in my mind of how I want to run today's podcast. I think we're going to start with just how everything went down, going through the actual process of finding out how he passed away, my initial reactions, what had, there's some pretty interesting things that happened uh, with the girl that I was seeing that night actually. And then going through the funeral process, of course, I stood up and gave a eulogy, which I actually posted on my social media, which I would highly encourage you guys to go to see. We'll get to more of that later. And then where the challenges lie, where well, personally for me, where the most of the challenges laid, which was in dealing with other people, actually other people's reactions more than my own reaction to it. And then finally, some finishing thoughts, some summary on the very existence and nature of human beings and what life is itself. So how things all went down. It was about three weeks ago on a Friday, 20th of May. It was sunny, but the ocean was cold. I just got out of the cold plunge and I got back into my car and I saw that there was a text from my eldest brother, Kai, just saying, hey mate, can you give me a call? Kai's about 12 years older than me. He's a renal physician, kidney specialist in Melbourne, Victoria, the other state, a state that neighbors mine, Adelaide, South Australia. And normally I would just wait to get home before I would respond to that. However, this morning I just felt like I should probably give him a call back. I don't really hear from Kai that often. Over the last six months regarding dad's condition, I've heard him more because Kai has been looking after my dad a lot more because they live in the same state. Uh, but I haven't heard from him in a little bit. And so I thought, all right, I'll give him a call. Gave him the call and he told me that dad had been taken from the aged care facility to the Bendigo Hospital with a profound pneumonia in which that the doctors were finding it very difficult to oxygenate his blood and they expected him likely to only have one or two days left to live. This was, of course, quite a shock at the beginning because even though dad has been in and out of hospitalization for the last six months or so, uh, rehab facilities and whatnot, he had been largely getting better over the past month. And I will talk more about our relationship and what actually went down in the last six months where there's uh, some pretty beautiful things to be discussed there and some things that I mentioned in my eulogy. So it was a bit of a shock thinking that, okay, we've only got one or two days to live. Uh, so I better organize how to get there, drive over. It's about a seven hour drive from South Australia to Victoria or to Bendigo where they are at. And I got to tell my other brother, I'm the youngest of three, uh, Lucas, who was likely working at the time. And Kai essentially was driving from Melbourne to Bendigo to go be with dad. That's a three hour drive. And he said, listen, we'll know more once we get there. So we'll update you as to whether you need to come now or whether you can wait till tomorrow morning and you come tomorrow morning. So, okay, that's cool. So I caught up my other brother, Lucas told him and basically what I just told you guys and drove on home. It's about a 20 minute drive home. By the time I got home, I saw another text from Kai saying, hey, give me a call when you can. And I was standing in my bedroom and I called him up and I said, what's going on? And he said, dad's passed away. He's gone. In about a 30 minute period from Kai having found out himself to that phone call to, to, uh, to by the time I got home. So 
It actually probably happened even sooner than that because it took me about half an hour to return that message. But just like that, and I was standing in the same part of my bedroom that I was standing when I received the phone call that my best friend Matt had taken his life. And so I took a deep breath and asked him, well, actually, he, he didn't really know what to say. He's actually, And he said that. He goes, I don't know what to say. And so he passed the phone over to his wife who was in the car with him and who I've never actually spoken to before via voice. Uh, her name is Mariam. And she, in such a calming and comforting way, went through the plan from here as to what's going to happen in which that now there's actually no rush for, for my brother and I who live in South Australia to come over because there's no chance that we'll be able to go see his body in the hospital because it'll be moved off to the morgue by then. So from basically from here on out, we'll, we'll message you the next day to try and organize details with the funeral and all that and what happens after that. But she was very calm about it and so we left it there and the phone call ended. When the phone call ended, I remember feeling very weak in the knees. I, f- I felt like I wanted to collapse, like I wanted to go down to the floor. I just felt that little bit of like give, give. But instead I just slid onto the side of my bed and looked out the window. The window was open and the sun was shining as it is now and the birds were singing and tears started to flow down my face. I was smiling though. I was smiling because of the intensity and the overwhelming nature of that the moment, the moment was finally here. And a couple thoughts ran through my head intermittently, which is feel it all. Feel it all. Don't try and hold back the tears. Not that I'm saying this to myself now, but I'm talking to you guys. Don't try and hold back the tears. That's what I'm saying when I say feel it all. Allow the choking, allow the full embodiment of this experience to overwhelm you. It's okay. And the smile ran across, particularly when I said, he lives in you now. And this concept of that, now he lives within you, is something that I've practiced every single day of my life since Matthew took his life in uh, 2016. So what's that? Um, almost eight years. Almost eight years, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it was a little bit after that. No, I'm pretty sure it was 2016. I'm quite sure it was 2016. Yes, it definitely was 2016. And so every single day since Matt has passed, I have been practicing the concept of he lives within you now and that all of life is just one. It's obviously a very different thing though when an actual family member goes through this process, this transition. And as I was sitting there on the bed, just tears absolutely flowing. The sense of joy that I was not in pain over the news of my father passing on. But in a sense, I was far more in a feeling of reverence. Reverence for the moment. Reverence for not only who my father was, but for what the nature of life is. And now this is a moment I'm very grateful for. Very grateful for it could happen in a lot more egregious ways. There are a lot more traumatic ways for a loved one to pass on into the next transition than uh, the way that my father did. And they did assure me, the doctors assured us afterwards that actually his deterioration was very quick 
and that he did, was not suffering for very long at all. So that was that was the event. I did mention in the intro, and I feel like this is I'm not even sure if this I don't really don't have that much of a plan. Like I had a bit of a structure before, but as to how we're gonna fill this podcast, I'll just fly in where I feel like I need to. So there's just one matter of facts that it's actually important, particularly from the social dynamics. While this podcast, well, the Bowl Dojo podcast has always been about human interaction, social dynamics. This particular session, I didn't intend to place any specific social dynamic principles within but it seems like this is integral if not for the social dynamics but for authenticity of what actually happened so i said to you in the beginning of the intro that i was supposed to be seeing a girl that night wasn't just supposed to be seeing a girl there's a lot more to it i was planning to make a special dinner for this girl for her birthday we've been in an open relationship for the last two and a bit months, I think just two months actually. And, you know, at the time, and this is difficult for me to say now because of how things have transpired since, which is going to make this whole podcast probably for you guys very juicy, but for me very difficult. I loved her. I was in love with her. And I have been basically since our first time together. And this is the first time I've discussed this with you uh, here in the podcast or discussed this with uh, anyone who, in public, really. Yeah, ever since, ever since our first time together, you know, I knew that I was in love with her. And we've still been in this open relationship and we had only, I'd only just let her know myself uh, that I had these feelings for her probably only two weeks ago. Two, week, two weeks prior to this event, which was three weeks ago. So anyways, I just thought that's it's important for you guys to know that. So anyways, it's her birthday. And well, her birthday is actually on the Saturday, but because she's going to be hanging out with friends, I said, come over to my place and I'll make you dinner and we'll do something special here. So I had uh, got up at 1 a.m. that morning, actually, uh, that morning actually to start this ridiculous slow cooked beef cheeks which by the way was ridiculously expensive as well because i don't know it's just really i think it's just the food shortages it's really hard to get beef cheeks at the moment i sourced them i found them got up at 1 a.m to start the slow cook process because i wanted them on for about 16 to 17 hours was going to have dinner around 6 7 p.m so yeah is it's gone this has been going and then after i told my brother about what had happened with dad naturally the question pops in my mind of well, what do i do now so I, I i put in all this effort i've been thinking about this for like a week there's a lot of other things that i wanted to experience with her that night as well uh some things i wanted to give her uh some some letters that i'll talk maybe i'll talk more about later this ridiculous seashell that i'd found and cleaned up and Anyways, it was supposed to be, I had been envisioning that this was going to be something really intense between her and I. And so, but naturally it's like, do I cancel it? Do I, how would I tell her why I have to cancel it? If she was going to come over, when would I tell her about what's happened here? And then in a quiet moment, I remembered a conversation that I had with my dad, which is something that I mentioned of the three lessons that he passed on to me in my eulogy. 
Those lessons may, one of them's about to pop up now. The other two may organically surface throughout the rest of the session, but if not, you can see my eulogy and the abbreviated version. It's just an abbreviated version. It was actually a 10 minute speech, but I just took the three lessons that my dad gave me in our final two conversations. And I spoke about that and put it up on Instagram. So you can all see that at uitang1, tang one if you'd like to pause the podcast. I wouldn't pause the podcast now though, because I'm about to go discuss one of them. But if you would like to check it out later, by all means, please do. So it would have probably only been about four or six weeks ago from prior to dad passing that we had a phone conversation. And I need to let you know about this context now, because I said I would. And it's, man, with but it doesn't really make sense if I don't go right back. So I'm going to have to pause. Don't worry. I'm very, very lucid at the moment. I'm very cognitively aware. So we're going to pause the story, the birthday story, and the night of what's happening with this girl and what happens there. We're going to pause that for one second. It's going to be long. One second. We're going to pause that so that I can fill you in on why these phone conversations happened the way they did. So as I said Ever since the beginning, I've always had a very distant relationship with my dad, having been separated. You know, when I was a little kid, I only saw him once every second week, and then for a week on school holidays. And those were in my formative years, though, so I did form quite a strong connection with my dad. And, you know, he trained me in karate. He was a second dan, uh, JKA Shotokan Japanese karate black belt, and he was the sensei at the dojo. So I lived in his vision, so to speak, and I always wanted to impress him, and I always had a great relationship with my dad. But as time went on, distance separated us, not only physically, but emotionally, of course. My dad was a very reserved and quiet person. He was not emotionally liberal with anyone. And certainly uh, certainly not with me. And I think a lot of that just had to do not only because of his personality, but also because of the distance between us. And as years went on, it became uh, many, many months and quarters between we'd see each other. And then it just became years in between we would see each other and just phone calls and emails on birthdays and holidays, etc., he would come over to my state when he could. When I was working in Melbourne, I'd see him when I could. So as I grew into my adult years, our relationship was definitely quite distant. However, in the last six months of his life, he started calling me every day. In the last six months of his life and throughout his entire life, he has suffered many illnesses that should have killed most people. He was supposed to die when I was very, very young, uh, only about seven or six uh, when he got cancer for the first time. And he since then had a, another bout of cancer, had a stent, stent, I believe it is, put into his heart, and had heart surgery, both hips replaced. He had a lot of shit. He had a lot of shit go down and that would have killed a lot of people. Yet he's still plugging on. And my dad's actually a GP himself. He's actually a medical doctor himself. But in the last six months, he took a fall while... Uh, renovating his house and shattered several discs in his spine and punctured a whole bunch of, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure if organs is the right term, but punctured some things within himself and was basically bed bound, unable to walk and barely able to feed himself and in a lot of pain and a lot of suffering for the last six months of his life. Had some ups, had some ups, going to rehab, but there's a certain point in which that rehab was no longer producing any gains and he was really dependent on a full-time care. During this time, he started calling me almost every day. This was quite a shock to me because we've never had this relationship. I've never had a daily dad before. But I was happy for the connection anyway. In the 
two of our last phone conversations ever, which happened about four to six weeks before he passed. We were just randomly talking about, well, who knows what, give me updates and all kinds of things. And he just, off the cuff, said to me, hey, Adam, do you have a girlfriend? And at the time, I didn't. And so I said, no, dad, no girlfriend. And a large pause ensued. And he said back to me, that's okay, Adam. Wait for the right girl. Wait for the right girl. Now, dad's voice was very weak at the time. He could, it was very hard for him to speak. So I know I'm using my voice, but you could imagine in a very weak, but also very resolved voice. Dad and I had never spoken about relationships in my entire life. And the three things he passed on to me in our last two conversations ever, that being one of them, were said with incredible resolve and as if coming from father to son, which he had never really, we'd never really had a conversation like that before. So now that you understand that, we can now come back to what's happening when he actually passed and me deliberating over whether to go through this dinner with this girl. Questioning whether it was the right thing to do, how I would tell her if she was going to come over, if I even should just cancel it altogether. I was interjected by the memory of what I just told you, of the conversation that I just had with my father not too long ago. And all of a sudden, all the questions were answered. I felt like I knew what I needed to do. So she came over, we had a beautiful dinner, 100% execution, blew her mind. We went for a late night walk around the neighborhood, ended back up under the porch light outside my front door. And that's when I told her what had happened to dad earlier that morning. She held me close. She came in and she wrapped her body around mine. We breathed deeply into each other. I felt the chassis of my body opening up against hers, feeling my heart pump, feeling senses of relief, rushes of endorphins, feeling love. Very few words were exchanged. We held this embrace for quite some time. It was beautiful. We stood there for a bit of time after that, just effectively me describing the events, how it all went down as I did for you. And then we went back inside. I'm going to leave that part, I'm going to leave that story there. I believe the reason why I went into the story was just to fill in the events of that day and that night. She asked me if I was okay during when we were under the porch light. She asked me how I was doing, if I was okay after this long embrace. And I told her my philosophy towards death, which is that he lives within me now. And that I don't hold regret or pain or resentment towards it. Just gratitude. Gratitude for the gifts of not only being my father's son, but for what life is. That we all come from one, just an extension of each other. Okay. 
So I guess we should fast forward now to the funeral itself. And then probably I'll probably have to backfill some things that happen within that in regards to uh, the funeral. Oh, and by the, by the way, I feel like I should just type one loose end there because I did say that why that was why that was difficult for me to tell you guys, uh, particularly me telling you that I was in love with her, is because since then, after that night, she became very cold and very distant. And by no means do I believe it's as a result of anything to do with me or my father. We did have one discussion. We did meet up once since then. Uh, and I told her about this and I told her how I uh, felt she'd been very cold and very distant. And it was as a result of some things going on in her personal life to do with her family, et cetera, which of course I'm not going to mention here, but I just wanted to fill in that the reason why it was difficult for me to go through that part was because at the time, yeah, I was very much in love with her. And since then, since that point, those feelings have become very convoluted, have become have uh, been very hard to deal with actually because of her cold and distant light nature after that. In tandem with the passing of my father. So maybe later on in this podcast, we'll get more to those social dynamics, but that's what I really meant earlier on when I said we're going to put some social dynamics into this because if we could just take a step back here for a second, for those of you that are maybe, it, it would be difficult or it would be a, amazing, I should say, if you found yourself in an identical situation to what I found myself in, but maybe some of you may be able to take the principle that you would apply in your own lives, which is that I didn't run away from neither telling her about what had happened nor following through on the promise that I had made. While in any rational mind, any rational being's mind would give me a pass for it, would say it's totally fine to, to have canceled that dinner uh, because of the passing of your father. To me, it was the opposite. It's, it was not okay to cancel that dinner because of what my dad had told me. Because that is certainly not what my dad would have wanted. And because this girl... Oh, by the way, by the way, I'm just realizing uh, I made a bit of a boo-boo. I omitted something or unintendedly, unintendingly omitted a very incredible detail, which I need to fill in now. Which is that after I told her dad had passed as we were under the porch light, I told her what dad had told me. I told her about the conversation I'd had with him. He had told me to wait for the right girl. And that's when I said to her that she was the rightest girl I'd found in a long time. My apologies for not mentioning that cleanly within the actual chronology of the story as I was telling for the first time. But maybe now that can offer you a little extra insight into why it's been and when we start to talk about the challenges of this whole experience that's actually going to be a big part of it was that actually a lot of the psychological battles i had to deal with had a lot more to do with the mixing of two events someone that you're in love with altering their behavior significantly and then the passing of a loved one and of course i will but I'm not going to focus too much on her in, and what happened within that. It's just that it's hard not to because it's my, if you want to talk about a grievance, I don't really think of it that way though. I think, I think it's more about a process. My process has been interlinked between dad passing and uh, my relationship with this girl. So anyways, that was, that was quite important though. I'm, and I'm sorry that I didn't get that correct. But yes, telling her that she was the rightest girl I'd found in a long time. And that's why that, that dinner could not have been canceled. 
So, <clears throat> fast forwarding beyond this now. It turns out that the morgue closed early on Friday or whatever, so dad's body was going to stay at the hospital over the weekend and that likely the funeral wouldn't be at minimum until the next weekend, if not the next week. So there was no rush to get over uh, to Melbourne, Victoria. We're going to have, they were going to Skype me in or phone call me in to a meeting with the funeral directors next week. And so it was actually quite a chill, chilled out, relatively chilled out process from there. So in the following days after my father had passed, I found myself just at random moments, either within the car, listening to specific songs or running over what I might say at the funeral in my eulogy, just bursting into tears. But not out of sorrow and not out of pain, not out of sadness, not out of hurt, out of intensity of emotion. That's the best way of describing it, that you feel this rising of heat from your center that builds up and it finds its way through your heart, travels along through your heart and then up into your esophagus and then out of your eyes. It's just this overwhelming sense of emotion and it's the weight of intensity that this means something to you. And I would allow it to flow each time and a lot of times I would start laughing while I was crying because it appears as if I'm not crying for any particular reason. Like there's, no, there's nothing going through my mind it's not like there's any painful or hateful or resentful uh, thoughts going through your mind. It's just, this is just how I feel. This is just the feeling of feeling. It's very present. It's very therapeutic at the same time. And every time that it happened, I just allow it to flow. Just allow it to run. Just allow it to run. Particularly when I now am starting to piece together in my mind how I want this eulogy to go. And for those of you who don't know what the eulogy is, the eulogy is the speech you give at a funeral singing the praise of the passed on one the past one and so i had the meeting with the funeral director probably three or five days uh, five, three or five days later in which that my older brother his wife my stepmother my father's wife uh, who has dementia now so for her it was an, an interesting thing because she was able to register it even though her memory is pretty much shot at this point and her cognitive processes are very very compromised but she was able, that sunk in, that, that stayed with her. It's not like we had to remind her every day that dad had passed away. She somehow remembered that, which is pretty excellent. And so, yes, we sat around and also the uh, one of dad's best friends was also at the funeral uh, meeting and we went through about an hour and a half's worth of details from which flowers go in the casket to which casket it will be to are we going to carry the casket at the end uh, to what the the lineage of family to brothers, sisters, wives, children. You had to get the names and the birth dates of everything. And it's just very overwhelming in terms of, I can't imagine doing this on your own. I'm glad that there's a whole team of us there dealing with this. And you're just getting everything. That's all for the death certificate as well. And the proof of death. And then we're also trying to organize uh, all these different logistics. And then by the end of this phone call, an hour and a half of this, I was whacked. And I was just happy for it to be over, to be honest. Not because I didn't, in, the process was bad, just intense, just very intense. And, and I went out onto the grass after that. And I think for one of the first times ever in our relationship, uh, I felt like, you know, I squatted down in the grass in the sun. And for the first time I said to myself, you know, I really wish that she would hold me right now. And actually, that's me shortcutting it. What I initially said was that I would really like to hold her now, dot, dot, dot. Or maybe it's that I want her to hold me. Speaking of the girl that I was uh, 
saying at the time. Past that point, the funeral was then scheduled for literally last Friday. So about a week after that point. So it was going to be two weeks after the actual passing of my father, in which that my middle older brother, Lucas and I, were going to drive over and we're going to stay for a few days and we're going to help clean out dad's house as well. So that happens. Went over for the funeral. What can I say about the funeral? You know, it was a private funeral in which that we only had close friends and family invited. My dad had a very large standing in the community, particularly in Bendigo, having been a rural doctor, a doctor within that community for the better part of uh, 30 to 40 years, might have even been close to 40 years, um, a very, very long time and had received many awards for it. And so a lot of his patients and clients over the years and other people would likely want to pay their respects. However, dad was very private and reserved. So we decided to do a private in keeping with who dad was for the family and close friends. And then we're going to do a public thing later on. So for the private funeral, is about 20 people. And there were a lot of adults there that I did not know, but somehow knew me from when I was a little kid. And, and yeah, there was, it was, uh, well, actually, you know, what? I should, I, I omitted one detail there as well. And actually just before I do get that, someone's just about to come in. So give me a second and we'll be back. And we're back in this game. Thank you very much, my friends. So yeah, something I forgot to mention was actually the private viewing. So of course, my brother Lucas and I didn't get to see dad's body as he had passed. So the funeral director had arranged for us to have a private viewing of dad's body the day before the funeral. So we got there the day before, about 5 p.m. And that's a very intense, surreal experience to come up to the casket just in a Empty, empty room or it's more of like a crevice kind of behind the main funeral room. Crevice makes it sound a little more claustrophobic than it is. Just like a nook, if you will. And his body's cold because of the refrigeration. But he's all dressed up and as we had arranged. He was dressed up in his karate gi. I said my dad was a second down black belt. as a sensei. So they had him dressed in his karate gi, which is beautiful. But uh, his, his body and as is what happens when the body is dressed up for death, they don't really look the same. Uh, different features change. They often look a lot younger uh, because of the way the muscle or the skin relaxes off the face. Um, but different bodies appear different ways. Sometimes it actually looks goes the opposite way. The funeral director was telling me sometimes people can be a bit shocked with the change in complexion, change of the skin color, etc. But he was very, very peaceful. He looked very, very peaceful there. And my brother and I walked in at the same time and, you know, touched his hand. And I viewed one dead body before, my mum's ex-partner's mother uh, at an Italian funeral, which is a very sad event. They try to make it sad, which is not our intention for our funeral, as I'll discuss in a second. Anyways, uh, so I had, I had been around dead body once before. I'd never touched a dead body before, though. I'd done a human body. But of course, I held my dad's hand. I brushed his forehead rubbed my thumb along his cheek. And I had a little time, probably a few minutes to myself, where I asked my brother to leave. And I gave him some time, of course, as well on his own. And you know, I just observed the wonder of a physical body in front of me that was clearly not who my dad was. I had experienced this with previous pets uh, that had passed away. And of course, uh, my ex-partner's uh, mother it's very obvious that when you're in front of a dead body, uh, there was something going on inside of that that is no longer present. That was not inextricably linked with the body. That was rather housed within it, temporarily garaged within this meat venue. 
and has now moved on to something else. You want to call it the soul, the spirits, whatever you would like to call it. Who Dad was. And I just took a very long time to really pay respect to that. Reverence for that. Came to peace with that. Loved that. Next morning, funeral rocks up, about 11. By the way, uh, in preparation for the funeral, both or all, all of the sons were going to be speaking. We all had our own eulogy. However, none of us discussed with each other what we would be saying. However, I wanted to go from the personal point of view. I wanted to get to a very uh, emotional reflection of the relationship between dad and I. And I didn't really want to use notes, primarily because it's not something that I feel like I needed to. So I had for the last two weeks been reciting and learning the speech off by heart and just every day going through it. And it took me about five or six goes to stop crying. Every For the first five or six times I did it, I'd cry every time. But as I got more and more through it, I was able to not cry. So I was not expecting to cry during the eulogy. I thought I'd be okay. So the funeral comes around. And like I said, it was just a small outfit. A lot of people I had never seen before, some old uh, relatives there. And... And his casket's there on the front. You guys can see this on Instagram. You can actually watch the abbreviated version. You can't see my other brother speaking, but Kai got up and spoke and gave a great rendition of dad's life. Went through a lot of the, uh, his actual journey in life. Kai knowing a lot more about that, being the closest of the sons to him, living in the same state, spending more time with him. Then Lucas got up and spoke and he spoke from the heart and just spoke about how much dad had taught him to be strong and uh, to grow up, growing up into being a strong man. And that was quite beautiful. During these two first speeches, I actually started crying. And that I realized that going last, we went in chronological age, so eldest to youngest. And I realized that it was actually probably the hardest thing to do to go last because I had been emotionally already opened up as a result of my other brothers. And so when it finally came time for me to speak, I was actually having to wipe my eyes as I was walking up to the podium. But I centered myself and I delivered probably the best speech of my life. Not only from the praise and approval that I received afterwards, not only from the celebrant, but also the people who were in attendance, but also just because it felt within me that I executed it to a T. And you can go watch that on Instagram if you'd like. Uh, the three sons and dad's best friend, Phil, we carried his casket out to the hearse, casket, and casket goes off to the crematorium, and he gets cremated. So we go out to lunch after that, and cleaning up his house the day after. So I'll just, in terms of the recollection of events before I start to get into the distillation of philosophy and the processing of challenges and dealing with how other people have related to this and the different support structures and what to do really in those moments, just one more recollective thing for you all to know is that the cleaning of the house. Yes, the, the next day, Lucas and I went over to his house and this house we had never been to. It was not one of the childhood houses. He had moved many times since then and it was a very beautiful house but had a lot of stuff in it. And so we spent a good five, six hours just cleaning things up. I put this on my Instagram story, actually, and it was actually quite inspirational. Uh, the bonding between us three brothers, we had never really spent much time with Kai, other than when we were very young, and also uh, Phil, and we're all just working as a team uh, to do what was a very large job, uh, to get things out to the tip, making tip runs, cleaning out the backyard, and just going through his belongings as well, finding a lot of keepsakes. Dad's first Dan black belt I got to take home, uh, a giant tiger scroll. For those of you who remember the earliest, 
earlier versions of Bordeaux podcast, you remember a Tiger Scroll, which actually my dad gave me, but now I got to have dad's version, which is a much, much larger version, which is up in my room now and uh, his wedding rings I've got to keep. And yeah, a whole bunch of these things and we're just, just uh, it's, it's, not, it's not too hard. You think it would be a lot harder, but it's not too hard. It's not too hard primarily, I think, because not only of the work I've done over the past two weeks to come to peace with dad's past, but also because I didn't spend a lot of time within this particular uh, venue. I'm sure that helps as well. There's more of a great brother bonding session and family bonding session with our, I call him Uncle Phil. He's basically an honorary uncle. So, and actually I made a little highlight reel of that day, about a one minute 20 thing that I just put up on my story, but because it used a song called Moving or I'm Moving by Five that apparently Instagram was not happy with. And it blocked it in one country, Russia. <laughs> so because it was blocked of the story, I couldn't save it to my highlights. Normally, because I do some pretty uh, heavy-duty editing for my stories, like I, I put a lot of effort into them, and I save them to the highlights, not necessarily because I don't make them as posts all the time. And so you can always watch them on the highlights, but not this time because uh, Instagram didn't like didn't want to send it to Russia. Anyways, I might post it later on. But it was quite a beautiful account, and I just want to mention that because. Uh, just last night, I found a lot of solace in watching that. And I also want you guys to know how I'm moving through this, how I'm still creating light out of these things and how uh, I'm finding the joy. I'm finding the joy and I'm, I'm seeing all the connectivity of what this event brings rather than the disconnectivity. I feel like that's the majority of the recollection of the actual events. So now I want to move on to the challenges, what's been the most challenging thing with processing my father's death. And I did allude to it earlier, and it's this, the reaction of others, how others react to you and how you're processing the death has, for me, been the most challenging thing because everyone has their own way of dealing with death. Everyone has their own relationship with death itself, with life itself, and you would be amazed with the incongruence amongst human beings. And I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way, just how everyone has such a varying idea of how long, how intense, how one would go about, in quotes, a grievance process. I'm quite a unicorn in that way. I'm quite an outlier in that way, in which that I never really experienced any sadness or pain. No pain, no sadness, no regrets, no resentment, no anger, no hatred, no longing for what wasn't, just gratitude for what was i immediately had myself in the position of love peace and joy from really once really from the moment that i found out so this is quite counterintuitive to most human beings experience and idea or concept of how one would deal with death death is always largely surrounded with negative emotions or perceive or emotions that are then labeled negative particularly if you didn't have a good relationship with that person. But even if you did have a good relationship with that person, everyone assumes that there's loss. Everyone assumes that it's something to be sorry for. I'm sorry for your loss is the most common phrase you will come across if you are coming to this podcast because you're just recently dealing with uh, a close loved one's death. I'm sure you're hearing a lot of that right now, which is that I'm sorry for your loss. My condolences, I'm sorry for your loss. In my eulogy, in the final... Summary, in the final 30 seconds, I said this. Don't be sorry, because there is no loss. 
it was a gift. Not only to have been my father's son, but to have borne witness, been witness to the existence of Alex, Dr. Uwe, dad. Loving you deeply, loving you always. Us. That was the final wrapping remark on my eulogy, and I stand by that to today, which is that you don't need to be sorry because there is no loss. I don't view death as a loss. It is but a gift, only a gift. What it teaches you, how it forces you to mature, how it forces you to take account of what existence of human beings are, what our, what our daily lives are all moving towards, where we're all going, where we all came from. However, not everyone shares this same view. Not everyone can even conceive of this view. Not everyone believes that this could be true. So, I will start with the first couple pushbacks, if you will. Only slight pushbacks, but pushbacks nonetheless. So, I didn't make it public that my dad had passed until the funeral, which is two weeks after. So I made a couple posts and did a couple Instagram story sessions during the time between my father passed away and then the funeral, when it was then made public, when I made it public, in which that I was public facing and that people were seeing me, but they didn't know. And they would not have known because I was still my same joyous self. However, there were a few people that knew, very close people. Only uh, my best, one of my best friends, Mike. Just waiting for this truck to pass by. My best friend, Mike, uh, the girl that I was seeing at the time. And by the way, it, that feels weird for me to say because I don't know if I'm seeing her. <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's another part of the difficulty of the romance getting interjected again is that it's because of her distancing and coldness since the funeral or, and since um, my dad passing, which again, that makes it sound like it's correlated, but it's not. It's more of a, uh, well, it is correlated, sorry. It makes, it makes it sound causal. It makes it sound that she became cold as a result of the death. It definitely was not the case. I've got to be careful with the way I phrase that. It's just so happened that other events happened in her life and she chose to become very cold and distant as a result of those just happened at the same time. So what I'm trying to say here though is that Today, literally me speaking to you right now, a week, almost a week, week and a half, a half a week after the funeral, I'm not really sure if I'm seeing this girl anymore. I don't know what the state of our relationship is. Uh, it's a bit of a limbo state. So that's why I'm speaking in retroactive terms, retrospective terms of when we definitely were seeing each other. So at the time, we were definitely seeing each other. And, and so she knew, Mike knew, uh, a a couple of my close family, other family members knew, and my mum's partner knew. That was a very small handful of people that I directly knew. Of course, my older brother probably told a few, few people as well. Anyways, it would have been probably only a day or two later that my stepfather was informed, who's the father that I really grew up with. Uh, his name's Andrew. And he gave me a call just to check in and see how I was doing and how I was processing everything. And at the time, I think it was only a day or two later, I would say at the maximum. And I was actually just standing outside the front door right here. I was telling him how I was, I was doing okay. I was moving through it. I was still going out to the ocean, still doing my thing, you know, still, still walking forward and largely feeling pretty good. 
And Andrew hasn't lost his father. And I should, uh, it's funny that I use the word lost then because I don't view death as a loss whatsoever. But I believe Andrew would likely be in that camp as the majority 99% of human beings are. That view, death is a loss. And so I could, I was getting that feeling from him that maybe he felt like I was putting up a shell, masking my inner feelings. Because he did say to me towards the end of the conversation, you know, uh, Adam, you don't have to be too strong. You don't have to be too strong. And I said to him, I understand what you mean. Thank you. And he goes, okay, well, take care. Pause that. Later on, maybe a night or two later, maybe one night later, my mom had given me a call and she was just checking in on me, just making sure I was okay. And she said to me towards the end of the conversation, as I relate to her saying, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing okay. And she said to me, you know, it's okay if you're not okay. I said, thank you. Thank you, mum. However, I think uh, my perspective on death is quite unique, which that I really don't see it as a loss. I don't see this as a sad time. I see this as a beautiful time, as a time to be grateful for. And I'm grateful for the meaning of what death is and how it gives meaning to life itself. And of course, I have a much tighter relationship with my mum, so I went, I felt able to go into this conversation with her as I did not with my stepfather because I largely don't see my stepfather that much anymore since he split up with my mother when I was in late high school. You know, we really only see each other on birthdays and uh, and holidays, etc. But yeah, I have a very close relationship with my mum. So, and mum understood this. She understood this. So she never pressed again after that. So there you go. There's the first two, what I would say, incongruences or pushbacks to my perspective on death to the general perspective on death in which that if someone isn't experiencing a debilitating form of grievance, that something must be wrong. Something must, like the, He must be covering something up here. He's just doing a very good job of it. He's putting on a very strong face. But uh, I, was descri- I was talking about this to Mike when I told him a couple of days after the death passing. I told him at the botanics, we'd actually just been talking shit, just talking shit, and it was very hard to transition into the conversation. This was the first friend of mine that I was telling it to. And we were just like, we were sitting in the sun and we'd been talking shit. And I said to him, listen, man, there's something I've got to tell you. And we'd just been joking. And we were laughing. And I was like, I got something I've got to tell you. And this is going to be a really weird transition. I'm not even sure how to make this transition. So I feel like I just need to say it. And he's, he's kind of getting the idea. He's like, he's like, okay, something's going on here. And that's when I said to him, listen, two days ago, three days ago now, exactly what I told you guys, got the phone call that my father had passed away and he was like a bit of a deer in the headlights. He didn't really know how to respond to me. Mike is the only close friend of mine that has also had a parent pass on. His mother passed away, I believe it was from cancer, uh, a year ago. Yes. It might not have been a full year or maybe it has been a full year, but it's around that time frame. Sorry if I'm getting that wrong, Mike. Uh, however, we weren't really in contact at that point. So I wasn't there to experience that with him, but we've since come back into much closer contact. And not that I don't think Mike, I don't think he was absent of the knowledge of how to respond initially. I feel like he was just shocked because we had just been talking shit, uh, like just stupid bro shit. And then now I just dropped on him that my father just passed away. 
So he was a bit of a deer in the headlights and I kind of had to just pick up the conversation myself. So this is, but this is actually something that I think you'll find when you come across people who don't actually, the response is actually quite similar. Shock, not knowing what to say. It's different on social media, which I will discuss later on because I got quite an intense social media response, which I'm very grateful for. And for the lessons, of course, as well, not only for the care, but largely the response from most people is the I don't know, and it comes in the form of shock. And largely the responsibility is on you to pick up the conversation to help them work through it. And I know that's very difficult. I can see why that would be very difficult if you are feeling a lot of remorse or sorrow, sadness, regret, anger, hurt, to even want to try and help them understand how to help you. But of course, I'm not feeling any of those emotions. I'm feeling very good. So I just pick up the conversation and just start helping him through it and telling him all these different details, which then gives him some footing to start relaying back to me and start opening up him more himself. And then the conversation gets going and there we go. We're off to the races. So, so that was okay. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I didn't blame Mike for that. It was, it was a hard situation because we'd just been talking shit as brothers do. So those were most of my close interactions with people other than that, the funeral itself, which would happen two weeks later in terms of letting people know. Actually, wait, no, no, it's not. Okay, let me tell that again. So continuing on with my, so continuing on with the challenges of telling people that your father has passed away. The very night that he did pass away, I went down to the beach to do my cold plunge. And this was going to be an ultimate test for me. I really wanted to test myself to see if I could maintain my light in the same way that I did every single other day of my life when I went down to the beach, which means I smile at everyone. I engage everyone. I'm open to everyone. I give love to everyone. Say hi. Say good evening. How are you today? Smile at them. I wanted to see if I could maintain this. It was a beautiful sunset. It was freezing. It was very cold. Beautiful sunset. And I was walking the beach and the first person who came by, I was like, hey, how are you? They're like, hey, good. And I walked down the beach and there were a few people who went by. I went to smile at them. They didn't smile back or they looked away. Typical people who are just in their own little boxes. And I said to them, hey, that's okay. That's okay. You're probably dealing with something I don't know about. So that's okay. You walk on. And then I did my cold plunge and then I got back in the car and I realized that, hey, listen, another test of light here and your light's strong. Because I've always said to myself, it's like when you see people at the beach or in your day-to-day who don't smile or who don't look at you, who obviously who outwardly look pissed off or look like they have a reason to be upset, you always got to hold compassion because you never really know what battle someone's dealing with. And so now, outwardly, it would seem that I would have the number one reason to not want to engage people, to not want to shine my own light, to want to turn, to away, turn away from human beings. But I found no reason to do so. I felt beautiful inside. I want to share that beauty. As beautiful as my father was. So that was a great test. I just wanted to point that out there. I forgot to mention that. Moving forward in other conversations, telling my barbers, uh, it's amazing how people's demeanors change. Telling other people that I come across in my daily lives, people at the gym, uh, this is before the funeral happened, just the way that people's demeanor completely change. Uh, Some people can be, some people can come off very callous and very cold towards you, but it's not intentful. Like my neighbor, when I was just hanging out uh, at the front getting some sun, she's an older woman, and she just said to me, oh, by the way, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. But it was very casual like that. It was like, hey, by the way, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I, and I just, I remember walking back from that going, 
that wasn't that wasn't very caring. <laughs> like that was like if I was very sad and if I was very emotionally distraught, that would have made me feel a lot worse. Like the way that someone could just casually say, "Hey, sorry to hear about your dad." You know, it's like that. And it's like, "Okay, that's not that's definitely not the way to go about it." Um, however, I also give them a pass. I also give people a pass because it is not a daily occurrence for most people that you're having to have this conversation about dealing with someone's potentially emotional tsunami going on within them regarding the passing passing of a loved one. So I always give people a pass regardless of their response. But I will note on it. I will note on it. There is definitely a varying degree in the consideration that people give. And this is where I feel like we're going to transition to social media now. Yes, why not? Let's do it. So two weeks later, I had been active on social media. I hadn't told anyone or none of my uh, supporters or audience over on Instagram had any idea. And then on Thursday when we drove across states, I put up a little funny Instagram story of me uh, in the car heading over uh, to Victoria. And then I put up the eulogy the following night and that's when the bomb was dropped. And when I uploaded the eulogy, I was actually... A few, it was a few hours after the funeral and I was on the way to dinner with my brothers, just the brothers' dinner. And so I didn't actually check my phone at all once it was posted, other than the fact just to make sure it was posted. So I didn't see any of the initial response to it until many hours later when the dinner was finished. And that's when I saw the, I said tsunami before, a tsunami of support, not only in the comment section, but also in the direct messages. And I'm talking like uh, hundreds of comments that I hadn't even responded to. I so not responses from me. It's not like, uh, like these were individual comments, I think. And I think it's probably close to 250 individual comments uh, just on the eulogy video on Instagram and a whole sling of direct messages from people that I do know and a lot of people that I don't know. People just follow that, my work over there on Instagram. This, again, this is a little bit unique. If you, this is this is a little more unique to, well, no, I, the principle will apply. It's it's a unique face in which that of, I have a bit of I have an audience going over on Instagram, uh, for ver- from various different angles. But even if you don't have an audience on Instagram or on another social media platform or on social media platforms, even if you just have a circle on social media, when you go to post about the passing of a loved one, your father specifically on social media, you are definitely opening yourself up to the scale spectrum of poor to excellent responses. Whereas that's a, it's, a fu- it's very hard to give a very poor response in person. Like I said, the worst response I've had so far is my neighbor who was just too casual about it. She was too uh, happy-go-lucky about it. And not that it affected me, like not that I'm like pent up, not like I'm hung up about it, but I'm just saying that, listen, if I was really upset, that would have made me more upset. It was a, it was not a good way of going about it. But other than that, all the responses I've received have been very well, very good. But on social media, you know, people can just type pixels. It's just pixels. You don't hear intent. You don't hear vocal projection or tonality. You don't hear pacing, silence. You don't, you don't see the eyes. You don't see the look in their eyes when they say something. So you can interpret things in many, many different ways that might, may or may not be correct, leading you to feel incorrect or correctly about how more what they may have said. So. Going through the comments, you just see the plethora of sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss. 
And it's not, and very few people just ride that. There's often a few other things going on there. Adam, my condolences to you and your family and your brothers. And I'm sorry if you're lost. Adam, I'm sorry if you're lost. Just want to know that you're, you're a great person and your dad will be very proud of you. And there's, there's a lot of comments though that all start with sorry if you're lost. I was just looking through them briefly, but there's like already uh, like 150 by the time, like a few hours later. And I definitely can't respond to all those physically and all what I want to. So I just make a blanket rule. Well, I'm not going to respond to any of them then. If I'm not going to, I'm not going to like single certain ones out. Anyone who's really close to me who really would really like to hear my response, they would direct message me anyway. They wouldn't just drop a comment and leave it at that. So by the time we get home, I decide the best way to address all these comments. And I also want to slightly educate my audience as well as to how I'm feeling about all this. Not trying to tell them that they're wrong in any way, shape or form. Just trying to educate them about how I am perceiving the process. And so how maybe sorry if you're lost is probably not a message that's going to resonate with me. So I decided to go on the Instagram story and wish that they can all see it. So I don't have to send them out 150 responses or 200 responses. And now 250 something responses. So I got on the story just saying thank you so much for the overwhelming support. And by the way, just regarding the sorry for your loss, it's obviously the message was a lot longer than this, so just abbreviating it. Just regarding the sorry for your loss, if you watch the final 30 seconds of my eulogy, I iterated that there is no loss, so don't be sorry. It was a gift, and I spoke about the reverence for not only being my father's son, but also for his existence and how I'm filled with nothing but love, peace, and joy. And I was genuinely smiling within that Instagram story. And a lot of people got that. A lot of people resonated with that. So that's how I responded to that. Now, that's how I dealt with the public response. And again, I gave a pass. I gave a pass to anyone who just dropped like a casual, hey man, sorry if you lost, or you know something that was really just too casual. Like you're just way too casual. I gave that a pass because I'm like, I don't, really don't know this person very well. They just, they don't really, they probably just don't know how to handle it. And then with people that I did know well, or there were really nice long messages there, but whether I resonated with them or not, it just didn't, I didn't take them to heart. I didn't take anything to heart. You know, unless I knew them personally, that's it. So then we go to the direct messages, which I do. A lot of them are from people I don't know, but a lot of them are from people that I do know. And there's a lot of woodworkers. Woodworkers, people who come out of the woodwork. People you have not heard from in years. Extending their condolences. Now, this is where a little potential for the ego can sneak up on you. Because it's like this person, uh, some ex-girlfriends message me, who I've not spoken to in years. Just old high school friends, old people, that uh, acquaintances that I knew somehow. People that I used to be really close friends with, but we just drifted apart. They sent a short message, you know, just saying, hey, hey, man, I'm just here if you want to talk or uh, sending you my condolences, etc." But as a direct message, and this, I observed that part of me and also my brother who was watching at the time as we were exchanging notes on what's happening on social media around this, that it is very easy to go to get a little bit sour about that and to go, well, why are you messaging me now? Is, is This is the only time you message me when a family member dies and you start to find this vindictiveness can arise within you. It's like, why are you messaging me now? And you start to get distaste. We get a bit of a sour taste in your mouth about their message because like, you wouldn't, you didn't care before. You didn't care about messaging me before. 
you didn't check in on me any other day for the last three to four years or five years, so why are you checking in now? It's like it's so transparent. It's so transparent that you're just trying to do the right thing. Like you're just trying to do the good thing to cover your bases, but you won't talk to me after this. Like once this event's done, you won't talk to me. So all of these feelings arise within you and then you go, give them a pass. For, for right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Even if they are trying to do it just, just to cover their asses so you can't say, hey, you never messaged me about that or you saw that video or whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever. Maybe it's just that they genuinely actually did care, but and that maybe they have been wanting to message you in the past, but couldn't find the right angle, or the right time, and now it just seemed like a very easy angle to try and create that connection. You know, whatever was going through their mind, I have no idea. You have to ask them. But it is easy to get vindictive about it. It is easy to get very egoically high standing about it. And so I made to check myself in the Airbnb, just going, "Hey, listen, man." Don't put too much weight. Don't put too much dirt into this trailer. Okay, this is okay. Just let it go. Let it go. And I was having to reassure that to my brother as well because he got it as well. And you see it. You see, all, both my brothers got it where you just got these less than deeply thought out and seemingly uncalled for messages from people that never would have talked to you anyway. So that, 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 that's opened, that avenue is opened up on social media. I feel like if you're pretty well balanced emotionally, but then again, that's a good thing to mention here. What if you're not balanced emotionally? Then that would be a bit of a firework and I would not recommend to people. I would not recommend if you don't have a close relationship, I do this in my own life. When I see people going through traumatic experiences, if we don't have a relationship and I genuinely don't feel the pull to want to create that relationship, then I stay out of it. It's like that person has enough to deal with emotionally than you sending a half-baked, un, uncommitted message. It's like if you say that you're going to be there uh, for someone to talk to and for them to be an emotional uh, support and crutch, then you've got to mean it. But I know that as a lot of these messages I receive, these people don't mean it. All I'm trying to say is that do what you say, say what you do, stand behind your authenticity principle when it comes to reaching out to other people. Do it for the right reasons. And if you're in it, be in it. The, the challenging side of this for me has been, has been the responding to others. Just how to navigate to others how I've been feeling, which has largely been very positive, very balanced, very emotionally centered. One, actually, one thing I will mention is uh, the first time I had to tell a client. It was probably only four or five days after my father had passed that I had my Skype session with one of my clients who lives in the US. And we'd done a full hour session and he didn't know about it. And then I told him at the end, by the way, thank you very much for rearranging our time because it's very rare for me to have to reschedule a client based on my own schedule. And I almost always keep the exact times. And this is one of the very rare times that I had to ask him to change our session time just because of the funeral director meeting was when we were supposed to be having our session the previous day. So we changed to the next day. And then at the end of it, I just wanted to thank him again. And I told him the reason why. I said it was because my father had passed and he took it with such grace. He responded perfectly. He sent me, he said probably about 30 seconds worth of something to the effect of, you know, thank you so much for being with me here today. You know, you've been dealing with me as I've been dealing with all my shit over the past hour. And you've been, you've had your own thing of this, this nature and, 
And then he goes, and he took a lot of silent pauses as well, but he wasn't fluttering. He was, he felt really calm and he said, I know you're good though. Like I know you'd be okay though because of who you are and I know your spirit and I know that you know a lot more about these things than I do and and I just wanted to thank you for being here and actually being willing to help people despite what you're going through. You know, that's inspirational to me. And that, man, hearing him say that just lit me up to the highest degree. So uh, not only is just so grateful for the caliber of the message, but also because of who it's coming from. I don't like to attach any of my ego to my client's success. Well, I've had a lot of success in the clients that have come across me across the years, not only in their external relationships and helping to create better relationships outside of themselves, but also the relationship they have within themselves. I've seen great transformation with the people that I work with as they dive into who they are and evolve beyond. And this was a moment in which that I saw one of my own clients who's only in his early 20s handling death in a shocking moment as well. You know, it was really, it came out of left field. He definitely had no idea I was about to say that. Handling it with such grace, handling it better than a lot of the people that I know around me. And I said this to, I said this in a message to the girl I mentioned earlier in the podcast about how, what, what is the right way to respond to someone? And I feel like I should tell you guys to you now because she helped she responded to me in the right way and so did my client and there is a right way to respond to someone when they are going through the processing of death although the right way is more of a structure or package than any one given thing there is not one set phrase (laughs) the very idea that you could have a set phrase and that would take care of the emotional trauma, potentially emotional trauma, potential emotional trauma, or just intensity of what a human being may be feeling. And that set phrase is what would uh, take care of all that. It's quite absurd when you think about it. Sorry for your loss, my condolences. Okay, that's it's cheap. It's very cheap. It's very shallow, and that's why it does nothing. It does nothing. It does nothing. And that's for someone like myself who was actually feeling pretty good when I started to hear all that. Imagine if you weren't feeling good. You know, I've, I've, I, never, I never have said to someone, sorry for your loss or my condolences in that short, sharp, surfacey way. I may have used the word condolence, but it's never in that way when people say my condolences. You know, my condolences, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Like it, it can mean something. If you infuse the spirit within it, I have definitely heard people say my condolences with actual feeling, with actual transference of emotion within that. That is what is important. Even sorry for your loss, even whether you resonate with the idea of death being loss or not, if it was still said with an intent that was meant, and this is where we're going to get to here, that was meant to lend heart, then, then I think that's acceptable. And this is the structure I was talking about. The right way to respond to someone when they are experiencing the death of a loved one is to lend them your heart just in case they stop working. You can do this metaphorically. You can do this literally. Well, you know, you can do this physically, I should say. 
in the session with my client, effectively what he was doing was lending me his heart. He couldn't physically be with me, so he couldn't hug me. But I have no doubt that he would have if he was in the room with me. And we would have had a long, deep hug. With the girl that I made the birthday dinner for, when I told her and we stood out of the porch light, her initial response to me was saying, I'm sorry, but she said it as she came in to hold me. And then no more words were exchanged for quite some time. She lent me her heart just in case mine stopped working. When you shut off the logicality, when you shut off the ruminization of the theoretical concepts of what death is, and you just look at the human being in front of you and say, I'm here for you. And I'll show you. Here's my body. You can have it. Take my heart, just in case you'll stop working. I'll hold you now. I'll hold you for as long as you need to be held. You cry on my shoulder. You let your chin fall heavy. I'm your support tonight. For as long as you need. That's the right way to respond to someone who's dealing with death. Very few words are needed, if any. If you are in the physical presence of someone, get close to them. Just hold them. It's more than okay to say, I don't know what to say, and just hold them. Because that's what they really want. That's what they really need. For someone like myself, who had already come to grips with a very harmonious and peaceful balance of the idea of life and death, that wasn't experiencing any trauma internally, any conflict internally. The hug was more uplifting than healing. But for someone who is very cut up inside, the reason why that hug does more than any word will is because it's healing. You know, words can heal, words can hurt and words can heal, but I think your actions do far more. So that's what I mean when I say that there is a right way to respond. It's just give them your heart in whatever way you can. Yeah. One thing I did notice just to mention before about how people respond to death, a lot of people attempt to give you their version of death, whatever happened to them, and somehow think that that would make you feel better. I did notice this a lot. I did notice a lot in the comments and a lot of direct messages, people saying to me, oh, my father passed away a month ago, or my sister passed away uh, three years ago, I haven't cleaned out her house yet, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw a lot of messages where people didn't even, re- they spent most of the message talking about the pain they've been going through. And it's like, that's, um, again, not the right way to respond. It's, but of course, they, they are operating from the level at which they are currently experiencing, which is unresolved pain within themselves. For, for the messages I'm referring to anyway. I'm not talking about people that are just using it as like a reference point. I'm talking about people that are using it as a focus point that they're trying to almost deter or distract away from what you're experiencing to talk about what they're experiencing. So again, not a great way of social dynamically going about comforting someone in that time. How to comfort someone? Hold them. Now to start to bring this podcast to a wrap and to bring a summary to how to process your father's death, whether you're a son or whether you're a daughter, The principles apply the same. As hard as it may be, please attempt to see the interconnectivity of all life. One thing, as I said, seeing my father's body in the casket and touching it, was that there is a profound realization at that moment 
that dad was not his body. This was something that I came to know with my best friend Matt, who took his life, that Matt was not his body. A teaching that you will find in much of Eastern philosophy, particularly the Tao Te Ching, written down by Lao Tzu approximately 2,500 years ago. In the Tao, it speaks of life and death being the same. Buddha's philosophy as well, of course. But that we all come from one source, whatever you would like to label that source. Have at it. Have your discussions. But at the end of the day, I think we're all just walking each other home. We all came from the same source and we all shall return to the same source. Such peace and harmony overcomes one when you can embody this. Now, how was I able to, was it purely the experience I'd had with my best friend taking his life almost eight years ago now? Was it purely that that prepared me for this and that's why I was able to deal with it so almost easily, almost without friction whatsoever, no resistance whatsoever? Yes, yes, but no, because it's the training every day leading up to Matt's death and the training that has happened every day since then, in which that I meditate on death every day, whether it be my own, close friends, family. The very nature of existence is something I'm very closely and have a very close relationship with. The very fact that we're on a planet. You may all, if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, I almost... And particularly lately, I've just been reminding everyone incessantly that we live on a planet in the universe. It's like you, th- you think you live in your suburb. You think you live in your city. Oh, I'm in South Australia right now. No, no, no you're, on, you're on a planet. You're on a planet that is just, it's in this impossibly, impossible conceptualization of what, how grand this universe is, how rare life is. I always talk about how rare life is. It's just, a, it's a wonder. It's an absolute beauty. And to see that we all somehow, some way, have an ancestor that links us all. Whether you're Muslim, right, you're from Russia, you're an Aboriginal down in South Australia, right, you're a Han Chinese, you're from the Maasai, it doesn't matter. We all came from somewhere. And if you trace it back far enough, we all came from one. Whatever, whoever created that one, I don't know. And largely, I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. It would be good to know. I'd like to know. But it's largely inconsequential. Because if you were to know, as one of my great mentors, Paul Lissio, once said, even if you did know everything, Adam, you'd still have to paint the fence and rake the leaves. Even if you did know all the conspiracies of the world and the creation of life itself, you'd still have to go out there and paint the fence and rake the leaves. Allah, what would you do with such knowledge? How would it profoundly change your life? What would you do differently? Why would you do anything differently? Life's still life. And death is still death, of course. So I feel like what has prepared me to be so resistance-less, to have moved with such harmony, to have processed my father's death in such a natural, I will say beautiful way. It has been very beautiful for me. It's been a beautiful release. And I will start to talk about, I mentioned that I would. Go, I was going to talk about, I didn't want to mention her too much, so let me finish this, but maybe I'll mention that a little bit later about the actual emotional challenge I did deal with. But I wanted to separate that because it's not really about what this podcast is about, but it's worth knowing, just knowing that it was happening at the same time. I won't go too much into it. But purely segmented onto the events surrounding my father, it's been nothing but a beautiful process for me. It's something that I always, you know, always know it's going to come. 
I remember the raining of those tears, the first tears that came out, how relieving, releasing they were to allow yourself to just fully cry out, to empty yourself of all the emotion, to not hold it back at all, and to then smile, smile in the depths of this intensity, knowing that he lives in me now. He lives within me. It's one thing to say that he lives within you as a memory. It's another thing that he lives within you as he is a part of you now. And that is how I viewed Matt's death, that Matt lives in as a part of me. And as I've spoken about in this podcast routinely, that any of you that meet me, any of you that receive coaching from me, you receive Matt. You receive a piece of him because of how intricately linked he was with my own development and the closest of us. And it's now the exact same thing could be said of my father. Absolutely. Anyone who's had a marked impact on my life, you're meeting them. As you listen to my voice now, you are listening to my father. That to me is just, it's the best. It's the best. So what would I recommend in terms of the processing? There's a couple of tactical things I'd like to recommend. Uh, part of what not to do. One thing that I did find, it was on the day of the funeral director meeting that I found that just sitting down, even not listening to music, but just sitting down practicing the eulogy, and sitting down thinking about him, that started to make me feel a little bit heavy. Like, not necessarily dark, but just things got stuck. Like the, the emotions got stuck sitting with them. I found that moving with the emotions was much, 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 much more beneficial. So walking, practicing the eulogy, walking or swimming or training, physically moving my body, while reminiscing and going through different ideas and putting different things together about who my father was and how I've learned from him, etc. Just all the different things that will come up, sitting down or even worse, lying down with those emotions. You know, what's, what is the word emotion? Energy in motion. It would get, it would, it would get stagnant. It, it, felt, it felt very heavy. So I remember sitting down on the mat thinking, this does not feel good. If I'm going to think about my dad, if I'm going to think about how I'm going to process this eulogy or put it together, I'm going to walk while doing it. And that was so much better. So much better. You just you can, you can, you can shake things out. You can stretch out. You can increase the intensity of your pace. Uh, your mind just flows a lot better. You get into a much better flow state. So I would not recommend dwelling in stillness. I recommend motion doesn't have to be very aggressive. You know, just walking is fine. But yeah, a bit of motion there goes a long way for sure. <clears throat> if you are feeling hurt, pain, resentment, regret, okay, I wouldn't have you listen to this podcast and think, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Adam didn't do that. Adam didn't have to go through any of that. Why am I going to do that? What's wrong with me? Slow down. Everyone's, everyone is only where they are right now. They decide where they are. You are where you are right now. If you're holding regrets, you're holding resentment, then that's your work to do. Okay. Accepting that that's how you feel in that moment. Step one, acknowledge it. Acknowledge that I have these unresolved thoughts and feelings towards my father. But maybe don't berate yourself for them. Yeah. Do what you can to work with them. But just know that in that first, if you are experiencing those feelings, 
your acute short-term pain is likely going to be very severe, much more severe than, well, I didn't experience any pain. So it's obsolete if you don't have any of those feelings. But if you do have those feelings, you're going to experience some intensity of actual pain. And so it would likely be, it's easy for me to say, well, just unpack and destroy all of those either negative self-perceptions, egoic attachments, or limiting beliefs. Go ahead and do those, and then it'll relieve your pain. That I wouldn't actually, you know, it's, that, that seems like the logical thing to do. Like, well, then get rid of the resentment, get rid of the regret, get rid of the pain. Yeah, I would agree with that in a long-term plan, in a chronic plan, in a plan that, that has a little more time to it. But in the short term, that's a little, I think, impractical is a, at, the, at, the, at the least, and really uh, just not, not wise. Not wise because it's unlikely someone experiencing that level of pain would be able to evolve to the next state within such a short period. Maybe you will. Maybe you will. But what I would recommend instead is that you surround yourself with people like myself. Surround yourself with people that will lend you their heart as you're dealing with pain. Seek out and reach out to the people that will hold you. They'll tell you that it's okay. That'll be there for you and not just paying lip service saying, hey, I'm always here for you. But no, no, the ones that are actually there for you. Seek those people out. Lend, uh, ask and borrow for their strength. They'll lend it to you. That'll help you deal with the pain for sure. And then in time, the ideas of resentment, regret, hurt, pain and anger you can start to work with those as the days go by, as you start to, in motion as well, I'd recommend, start to reconfigure your idea around what life and death is and maybe your perception of that person. Yeah? Yeah. And finally, yeah, life is a journey. It's a journey that now that my father has passed, well, there you go. My father hasn't ended. He has passed. Passed on to the next thing. I deeply and truly feel within my being, particularly now after having been with his body, that there is no ending. There was no beginning and there was no ending. It's all just one thing. It's all one. An eternal, infinite practice of life and death that we are all on the same journey together. No matter what you believe, what your skin color is, what you eat, what you do for work. We are here together. And so as you are dealing with the death or whoever may be in your life, I wish you love, peace, and joy. And just know that not only will this too pass, but so will you. So just remember, make the most of your time while you can now. Act as if those who have passed are looking down upon you. That they want to see you living with love. Living the love that they no longer can in this life. And that hopefully in one day, maybe you may just rejoin them in the next. And that's where I'll sign out for today. I thank you all for being here in this session with me being through quite a journey on this podcast and it's a it's an important thing for me it's a big thing for me to have you all along for this particular ride particularly this episode and i look forward to moving forward with you all sending you all my love
Much peace and much joy. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram or on Facebook or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldojo.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bowl Coaching Memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the Guided Meditation Eternal Energy on boldojo.com, a nice five-track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course, just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at the Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life. Not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy. Ciao.